my mind, my young pre-college mind was blown away. Like I didn't know how this happened. What, what was this cognitive process? But let me tell you, I wanted to find out. I had not been in, in that engaged or that interested in something to study in terms of college like I did um, wanting to study child development. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm a daughter, a sister, an auntie, a niece, a cousin, and a friend. And I love pineapples on pizza, spending all day in Disneyland, shopping for bargains on Amazon, and all things literacy. I'm a Jesus girl. I love people, and I love hearing their stories. In fact, that's what I'm doing here, sharing stories with powerful lessons to encourage us, empower us to keep moving forward, and to remind us that God has our back. I can't wait for you to hear these stories. Why don't you go ahead and join us for a story worth living? We are honoring teachers. So my mom is a retired English professor and, and was also my first teacher, first grade to be exact. In fact, she taught me and each of my two brothers first grade curriculum before sending us off to traditional school. And she's responsible for our educational foundation. And I'm a teacher today, but it's not what I always wanted to do. Mm -mm. People would ask me when I was much younger, like when I was a kid, if I wanted or if I planned on being a teacher, you know, like my mom, like, duh, are you going to be a teacher too? Let me tell you, I literally scoffed at the idea because come on, who wanted to be a teacher? Like, are you serious? Let's get real. Not me. A teacher? Can't, let's imagine that, please. Never. I mean, it's not even, it wasn't even a consideration of mine. Like I was just like, um, I absolutely want to do something far more prestigious and so much more important. Like, um, I need to be some kind of doctor. Like, yeah, like that definitely would fit the bill. Yes, being a doctor would suffice. Um, so as an adolescent, really as a kid and an adolescent, I began to set my sights on areas like pediatrics and or ophthalmology. You know, I kept changing or, or switching medical areas. You know, the more I found out about different areas, I was just like, oh, I think I want to be that. Um, but for some reason, I could not settle on which one like, I was motivated to pursue or which one I was really inspired by. Um, and then I realized that I didn't really want to pursue any of them. I did not absolutely love the idea or even love the content enough to want to pursue. And so here I was pre-college and in my mind, um, I, there, I had to do something. I had to be involved in something that I was absolutely inspired by. And so my attention was arrested by these little kids that I babysat on Sunday mornings. I had been at this babysitting job long enough to witness these little ones who were nonverbal and over time, they, their speech began to develop and their cognitive skills began to progress to the point where 
not only did they know my name, they could call me by my name. They, they knew who I was. They, they were, you know, thinking and, and, and making associations. My mind, my young pre-college mind was blown away. Like I didn't know how this happened. What, what was this cognitive process? But let me tell you, I wanted to find out. I had not been in, in that engaged or that interested in something to study in terms of college like I did um, wanting to study child development. And so I had no idea what I was gonna do with that. Don't, don't even ask me what I was thinking beyond that, but I was just so inspired, so motivated to study child development. Like I wanted to know how cognitive growth took place. Well, even though I didn't know what I was gonna do um, as far as that's concerned, God knew what his plans were for me, right? So I, I was in the process of enrolling at Oakwood College OC, which is now Oakwood University. Uh, my diploma says Oakwood College, by the way. But anyway, just thought I'd throw that in there. Anyway, I found out that the child development program that had originally been um, in the education department had been recently relocated from the education department. So here I am, I had my whole little plan, you know, laid out. I knew what I was going to do. I, I was in the right department. But now this program that I that I thought I really wanted to be a part of had now been relocated. What was I going to do? This kind of threw a monkey wrench into my whole situation. I felt like I were back at square one. Oh my goodness. What, you know, this is what I had my heart set on, but it's in that process where I began to consider studying elementary education because I was like, well, it's seems close. And from my young mind's perspective, it had to be the next best thing because I it's still I still probably would learn about, you know, the developmental process and growth and cognition. Well, let me tell you guys, it was the best decision I could have made at the time. The rest, as they say, is history. And the very thing that I knew I didn't want to do. Remember me never be a teacher. The very thing that I just knew I never wanted to do ended up being the very thing that I was built to do. Teaching gives me life and it has changed my life as well. And I'll be sharing snippets of just how throughout this epic educators series. I'm so glad that you have chosen to join me today. Well, let me share kind of a sweet memory. I recall that it was during my student teaching internship. It was my senior year. I did my student internship um, the first semester at um, a local school in Huntsville. And um, it was just really, for me at the time, life-changing. Um, it was during that experience, you know, and, and elementary and, and probably um, teachers of record who are uh, middle school certified, who are um, high school, um, all those secondary teachers will probably agree with me as well. You know, after all of the methods and content area um, learning that we did in our teacher ed programs, there was, it, it did not really compare to doing practicum work or doing that, um, that final internship where you were the teacher and you got to, 
um, do all the teacher things, right? You got to plan the lessons. You got to, you know, deal with the schedule. You got to grade papers. I mean, you got to deal with the, the students in terms of classroom management. Like you got to experience as much as possible, really, um, what it is like to run your own class. And it was, it was incremental and you kind of stepped up to that final, you have full control for a certain amount of days or a certain number of weeks. But anyway, that was just such a pivotal point in um, my growth as I was preparing for education because I actually had that moment where the switch flipped, where it wasn't just, I've been in all of these classes, I'm learning all of, you know, this, uh, this theory, you know, all of the good sounding theory, but it's not until you're actually in a classroom implementing, figuring things out that where that the rubber meets the road. And so here I was in the midst of my student teaching internship in my absolute favorite grade, all time favorite, second grade. I had the privilege of working with this kid who had a learning disability that required some very intentional, uh, very specialized attention and instruction. And I did not have um, much, um, prior experience with that. I had a head full of, uh, you know, these pedagogical strategies and, and uh, like, like I said, not much experience instructing kids or even working with kids in um, this particular manner. But my host teacher had faith in me, right? She taught me so much with her example, but she allowed me to work with him um, in improving his reading skills just in that little bit of time that I spent in her classroom. Well, he and I worked together for a while and, you know, I felt it was helpful, uh, uh, but I'll never forget the look on his face one day when he used the strategies that he had been learning while we worked together to figure out what he was trying to read. And he read it and he lit up like uh, high beam, uh, his, his expression was priceless because in that moment he realized that he had been successful. He saw his own success in that moment. He won, he knew it. I knew it. We both knew it. And I was beyond proud of him. And I was excited because I saw such specific fruit of my labors as a pre-service teacher. And in the rest of the internship, especially when I had um, control of the whole class and, you know, was just really being the teacher, that switch flipped. And that switch is related to this is what I love. This is what I want to do. I know that I am in the right place. Well, I, I went on to graduate with my elementary education degree and I was academically prepared to break into the wonderful, scary, multifaceted, crazy, let me tell you, world of teaching children. I had the enthusiasm, I had the vigor, I had the zeal, the energy, the ideas, the strategies. Listen, I was ready. So I thought. Well, anyway, I, I also was pretty green. And that showed when no one felt the need to offer me my first teaching gig after going on like a million interviews. So 
I went to work back at the college, back at Oakwood from where I just graduated, right back into my former department, the education department. And I came back in as the curriculum lab supervisor for the department. And in this space, I, I supervised student workers and I oversaw the organization of teaching and tech resources. And I, I threw myself into my first real job, right? Post-college while I interviewed, like I said, like a million times for a teaching job, because that is really what I was trying to get, you know, I, and I kept being overlooked. Um, I even went back to school in that space and, and worked on my master's degree and finished that. And in the meantime, this desire to teach just kept building and it kept boiling inside of me. I, I, I knew that that's what I was slated to do. That's what I was born to do at that point, you know, in my life, I was motivated. I was inspired. Um, I was to educate, but I, I couldn't break in. I couldn't get in. I couldn't get a job. So while I waited, um, there was a coworker who had a daughter who was going into kindergarten that fall. Well, she approached me and asked if I would work with her kid in learning to read. Her daughter was familiar with letters and sounds, and I took up the task of guiding her in blending those sounds and making words and becoming familiar with, you know, some of those most simple words at that level. Let me tell you, the day she blended some words with understanding of how to do it was another proud and exciting day. Remember, I had I did not have a teaching job yet, but I was still involved on some level in the process of teaching and learning. And to see a kid go from one level of knowledge of, of understanding or skill to another is priceless. And, and not just a kid, but some of our older students, our high school students, our middle school students, our college and university students, our two-year college students, like just seeing a student go from one level of knowledge and understanding to another is priceless. It is one of the most satisfying experiences of teaching. Well, I want to share a story that really embodies the strength, commitment, dedication, the otherworldliness, and the overall superpower of teachers, of educators. You know, we thought teachers were pretty great before, but throughout this global pandemic, we have seen just how special and unique and amazing teachers are. Teaching is truly a calling, and I'm proud to be a member of this noble group. We salute our teachers all over the world. And just to submit my humble flowers to teachers everywhere, a Story Worth Living podcast will feature stories and experiences and words of wisdom from a few epic teachers that I know who are in the classroom from elementary to university. Epic educators who have and are making their impact on students and subsequently the world. But first, I want you to dial in to this story. Our story is entitled, Thank You, Mr. Falker. And it's written by Patricia Polacco. The grandpa held the jar of honey so that all the family could see, then dipped a ladle into it and drizzled honey on the cover of a small book. 
The little girl had just turned five. Stand up, little one, he cooed. I did this for your mother, your uncles, your older brother, and now you. Then he handed the book to her. Taste. She dipped her finger into the honey and put it into her mouth. What is that taste? The grandma asked. The little girl answered, sweet. Then all of the family said in a single voice, yes, and so is knowledge. But knowledge is like the bee that made that sweet honey. You have to chase it through the pages of a book. The little girl knew that the promise to read was at last hers. Soon, she was going to learn to read. Trisha, the littlest girl in the family, grew up loving books. Her schoolteacher mother read to her every night. Her redheaded brother brought his books home from school and shared them. And whenever she visited the family farm, her grandfather or grandmother read to her by the stone fireplace. When she turned five and went to kindergarten, most of all, she hoped to read. Each day she saw the kids in the first grade across the hall reading, and before the year was over, some of the kids in her own class began to read. Not Trisha. Still, she loved being at school because she could draw. The other kids would crowd around her and watch her do her magic with the crayons. In first grade, you'll learn to read, her brother said. In first grade, Trisha sat in a circle with the other kids. They were all holding our neighborhood, their first reader, sounding out letters and words. They said, b, b, oi, boy, and l, l, uk, look. The teachers smiled at them when they put all the sounds together and got a word right. But when Trisha looked at a page, all she saw were wiggling shapes. And when she tried to sound out words, the other kids laughed at her. Trisha, what are you looking at in that book? They'd say, I'm reading, she'd say back to them. But her teacher would move on to the next person. Always when it was her turn to read, her teacher had to help her with every single word. And while the other kids moved up into the second reader and third reader, she stayed alone in our neighborhood. Trisha began to feel different she began to feel dumb. The harder words got for the little girl, the more and more time she spent drawing, how she loved to draw, or just sitting and dreaming, or when she could, going for walks with her grandmother. One summer day, she and her grandma were walking together in the small woods behind their farm. It was twilight. The air was sweet and warm. Fireflies were just coming up from the grasses. As they walked, Trisha said, Grandma, do you think I'm different? Of course, her grandmother answered. To be different is the miracle of life. You see all those little fireflies? Everyone is different. Do you think I'm smart? Trisha didn't feel smart. Her grandma hugged her. You are the smartest, quickest, dearest little thing ever. Right then, the little girl felt safe in her grandma's arms. Reading didn't matter so much. Reading seemed harder and harder now. Reading was just plain torture. When Sue Ellen read her page or Tommy Bob read his page, they read so easily that Trisha would watch the top of their heads to see if something was happening to their heads that wasn't happening to hers. 
and numbers were the hardest thing of all to read. She never added anything right. Line the numbers up before you add them, the teachers would say, but when Trisha tried, the numbers looked like a stack of blocks, wobbly and ready to fall. She just knew she was dumb. Then one day, her mother announced that she had gotten a teaching job in California, a long way from the family farm in Michigan. Even though her grandma and grandpa were gone, the little girl didn't want to move. Maybe, though, the teachers and kids in her new school wouldn't know how dumb she was. She and her mother and brother moved across the country in a two-tone 1949 Plymouth. It took five days. But at the new school, it was the same. When she tried to read, she stumbled over words. The k, k, cat, r, r, ran. She was reading like a baby in the third grade. And when her teacher read along with them and called on Trisha for an answer, she gave the wrong answer every time. Hey, dummy, a boy called out to her on the playground. How come you're so dumb? Other kids stood near him and they laughed. Trisha could feel tears burning in her eyes. How she longed to go back to her grandparents' farm in Michigan. Now Trisha wanted to go to school less and less. I have a sore throat, she'd say to her mother, or I have a stomach ache. She dreamed more and more and drew more and more and she hated, hated, hated school. Then when Trisha started fifth grade, the school was all abuzz. There was a new teacher. He was tall and elegant. Everybody loved his striped coat and slick gray pants. He wore the neatest clothes. All the usual teacher's pets gathered around him, Stevie Joe and Alice Marie, Davy and Michael Lee. But right from the start, it didn't seem to matter to Mr. Falker which kids were the cutest or the smartest or the best at anything. Mr. Falker would stand behind Trisha whenever she was drawing and whisper, this is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Do you know how talented you are? When he said this, even the kids who teased her would turn around in their seats and look at her drawings, but they still laughed whenever she gave the wrong answer. Then one day she had to stand up and read, which she hated. She was stumbling through a page in Charlotte's Web and the page was going all fuzzy when the kids began to laugh out loud. Mr. Falker in his plaid jacket and butterfly tie said, Stop! Are all of you so perfect that you can look at another person and find fault with her? That was the last day anyone laughed out loud or made fun of her, all except Eric. He had sat behind Trisha for two whole years, but he seemed almost to hate her. Trisha didn't know why. He waited by the door of the classroom for her and pulled her hair. He waited for her on the playground, leaned in her face and called her Toad. Trisha was afraid to turn any corner for fear Eric would be there. She felt completely alone. The only time she was really happy was when she was around Mr. Falker. He let her erase the blackboards. Only the best students got to do that. He patted her on the back whenever she got something right and he looked hard and mean at any kid who teased her. But the nicer Mr. Falker was to Trisha, the worse Eric treated her. He got all the other kids to wait for her on the playground or in the cafeteria or even in the bathroom and to jump out and call her stupid or ugly. And Trisha began to believe them. She discovered that if she asked to go to the bathroom just before recess, she could hide under the inside stairwell during the free time. 
and not have to go outside at all. And in that dark place, she felt completely safe. But one day at recess, Eric followed her to her secret hiding place. Have you become a mole? He laughed and he pulled her out into the hall and danced around her. Dumbbell, dumbbell, maggoty old dumbbell. Trisha buried her head in her arms and curled up in a ball. Suddenly she heard footsteps. It was Mr. Falker. He marched Eric down to the office and when he came back, he found Trisha. I don't think you'll have to worry about that boy again, he said softly. What was he teasing you about, little one? I don't know, Trisha shrugged. Trisha was sure Mr. Falker believed that she could read. She had learned to memorize what the kid next to her was reading. Or she would wait for Mr. Falker to help her with a sentence, then she'd say the same thing that he did. Good, he would say. Then one day, Mr. Falker asked her to stay after school and help wash the blackboards. He put on music and brought out little sandwiches as they worked and talked. All at once, he said, let's play a game. I'll shout out letters. You write them on the board with the wet sponge as quickly as you can. A, he shouted. She wiped a watery A. Eight, he shouted. She made a watery eight. Fourteen, three, D, M, Q, he shouted out. He shouted out many, many letters and numbers. Then he walked up behind her and together they looked at the board. It was a watery mess. Trisha knew that none of the letters or numbers looked like they should. She threw the sponge down and tried to run. But Mr. Falker caught her arm and sank to his knees in front of her. You poor baby, he said. You think you're dumb, don't you? How awful for you to be so lonely and afraid. She sobbed. But little one, don't you understand? You don't see letters or numbers the way other people do. And you've gotten through school all this time and fooled many, many good teachers. He smiled at her. That took cunning and smartness and such, such bravery. Then he stood up and finished washing the board. We're going to change all that, girl. You're going to read. I promise you that. Now, almost every day after school, she met with Mr. Falker and Miss Plessy, a reading teacher. They did a lot of things she didn't even understand. At first, she made circles in sand and then big sponge circles on the blackboard going from left to right, left to right. Another day, they flicked letters on a screen and Trisha shouted them out loud. Still other days, she worked with wooden blocks and built words, letters, 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 words, 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 always sounding them out. And that felt good. But though she'd read words, she hadn't read a whole sentence, and deep down, she still felt dumb. And then one spring day, had it been three months or four months since they had started, Mr. Falker put a book in front of her. She'd never seen it before. He picked a paragraph in the middle of a page and pointed at it. Almost as if it were magic, or as if light poured into her brain, the words and sentences started to take shape on the pages as they never had before. She marched them off to slowly she read a sentence, then another and another. And finally, she'd read a paragraph and she understood the whole thing. She didn't notice that Mr. Falker and Miss Plessy had tears in their eyes. That night, Trisha ran home without stopping to catch her breath. She bounded up the front steps, threw open her front door and ran through the dining room to the kitchen. She climbed up on the cupboard and grabbed a jar of honey. 
Then she went into the living room and found the book on a shelf, the very book that her grandpa had shown her so many years ago. She spooned honey on the front cover and tasted the sweetness and said to herself, the honey is sweet and so is knowledge, but knowledge is like the bee who made the honey. It has to be chased through the pages of a book. Then she held the book, honey and all, close to her chest. She could feel tears roll down her cheeks, but they weren't tears of sadness. She was happy, so very happy. The rest of the year became an odyssey of discovery and adventure for the little girl. She learned to love school. I know because that little girl was me, Patricia Polacco. I saw Mr. Falker again some 30 years later at a wedding. I walked up to him and introduced myself. At first, he had difficulty placing me. Then I told him who I was and how he had changed my life so many years ago. He hugged me and asked me what I did for a living. Why, Mr. Falker? I answered, I make books for children. Thank you, Mr. Falker. Thank you. There are so many stories like this one by Patricia Polacco, where educators have gone above and beyond the call of duty for the sake of their students, because they believed in their students and they believed in their calling to motivate, inspire, educate. Teaching is not a rose garden on a summer day. It, it can be a war zone. It can be a battlefield, but it also can be a haven and a harbinger of hope and a promise of new things. Long story short, teaching is more than instruction, more than books and pens and highlighters and, and notes and tests. As one of my favorite professors from my master's program declared, teaching is not the filling of pails but the lighting of fires. And you know that in order for the flame to burst out, the match must be rubbed against the surface. Educators are those matches, pouring their hearts and souls into environments of learning and growing. And their biggest paychecks are those aha moments and those light bulb moments and the moments where their students get it and are able to move forward with their newfound understanding. Educators from elementary to university levels facilitate growth in a million thousand creative ways. I love educators and I love being an educator. And so thank you for joining me for this series entitled Epic Educators. We are seeking to salute the magic that are teachers everywhere. Cheers to the profession that teaches all the other professions. I'm so looking forward to sharing more stories with you, to connect with you, challenge you, and energize you. Stories create environments where we can learn valuable insights from each other's experiences. They represent our collective pain, joy, fear, faith, best days and worst days. They unite us teach us, challenge us, delight us, and enable us to convey messages of hope in a complicated world. There's something to learn from someone else's story. They are countless lessons of faith, hope, and love. So why not take some time to consider your own story, then join us again for another story worth living. <laughs>